We are going to jump into Philippians 3. We're starting in verse 12 today. This is a passage that's near and dear to my heart because uh, this was the first passage I ever shared with the church uh, as the pastor of the church. On April the 27th, 2014, uh, nearly eight years ago, the church held a vote and voted me in as pastor. And yeah, thank the Lord for that. And uh, as I was sitting, there's like six of you that are happy about that. I just want to be praying for the rest of you. But anyway, uh, and I'm just joking. I'm joking. Um, but as I sat in my office, uh, biting my fingernails, waiting on the results of that very close vote. No, I'm just joking. It wasn't close. Um, uh, th this passage is the passage the Lord laid on my heart to, to share with the church that night. And, and so I, I came in, and after the vote had been tallied, and uh, thankfully we didn't have to wait two weeks to figure out who, how, how it went. Uh, we were able to tally it that night, and uh, I was able to share this passage with the church. And um, we need this passage. We, we, the message that's in this uh, passage is just as pressing and just as important, and we need to hear it and we need to live it just as much as today as we did eight years ago. And uh, so we're going to start in Philippians chapter 3, and we're looking at verses 12 through 16 tonight. Actually, I want to, I want to, I want let, to, let, let's start, uh, let's, let's pick up a, a little bit of where we left off last week, because Paul continues a, a thought. And um, let's start in verse 10, verse 10. Well, let's start in verse 9. Let's start in verse 8. Uh, sorry, I was just... Yeah, let's start in verse 8. Yeah. Verse 8, chapter 3. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if any of you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Father, we thank you for your word. God, as we spend time uh, walking through this together, Lord, we're reminded, Lord, that though you used men to communicate to us. They, these are not the words of men. Lord, though you use Paul's hand to, to write these words, 
Lord, they are inspired by your spirit and they are your words. So Lord, as we walk through this together, we we don't come as critics. uh, We don't come as experts. We don't come as people who set ourselves up above your word to examine whether or not it is true. But Lord, we receive it as the truth because you cannot speak a lie and everything you have ever said is true. And so, Lord, we humble ourselves and we bring ourselves under your word, Lord, that you would instruct us and that you would guide us and that you would help us. Lord, each one of us from different ages, Lord, different places of, of, that we've come from in the city, different stages of walks of life, Lord, different cultures, different races. But, Lord, we have one thing in common, and that is that we belong to you. Lord, that you are our Father and that you have called us by name out from the world to be a part of your family. So, Lord, help us as we spend time in your word today to to, to live as your people, to, to, to live out the life that you've called us to live. Lord, knowing that it won't look like the world, knowing, Lord, that it might not even look like the people sitting next to us because you've given each of us a a unique uh, personality and a unique gifting and and a unique story. But, Lord, you are the one that is working through all of it. So, Lord, help us by your spirit today and in our time in your word to live out the life that you have called us to live, the life that you purposed for us in Christ to live before the foundations of the world were laid and that we would bring honor and glory to you day by day. Lord, that we would do everything to bring you glory. Lord, not just on Sundays and not just when we're gathered together as your people, but Lord, in every conversation and in every activity and in every occupation and every meal that we share, Lord, that you would be glorified through our lives it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so let's, let's start digging in here in, in chapter 12. Uh, sorry, not chapter 12, uh, verse 12. Paul says, I have not. He says, not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect. And so what is the this, this or the perfection that he's, he's talking about here? Well, that's why I started earlier because... What he's talking about is is knowing Christ fully. What he's talking about is is that righteousness that comes from faith in Christ. What he's talking about is is being perfect or or the holiness that we receive or that we live out as as we live for Christ. In verse 10, he, he says that I may know him, Christ, and the power of his resurrection. Now, last week we talked about that the power of the resurrection that he's talking about here is is not the future resurrection that we're all looking forward to. How many of you are looking forward to that resurrection? Amen. That bodily resurrection when we'll receive new bodies, resurrected bodies. I woke up this morning and said, ouch, and I'm looking forward to that resurrected body one day when I won't crawl out of bed with back pain. Amen. But that's not the resurrection he's talking about here because later in verse 11 he goes to and he says, by any means possible that I may attain the resurrection of the dead. So so there is that future resurrection, but what he's talking about, he says that I may know Christ and the power of his resurrection. 
What that means is that it's the power of God's life, the power of God's spirit in your life now. Now. That we would live for Christ now. That we could put sin to death in our lives now. That having been saved, having been justified, having come to Christ, that we truly believe that on the cross, Jesus accomplished something. Not just for the future, but eternal life right now. That we have been set free of the power of sin. And so Paul the Apostle, he writes in, in, in the book of Romans, Shall we who have been set free of sin continue to live in sin? God forbid, he says. And so Paul is saying he's, he's endeavoring for that resurrection power, the power of Christ to, to, to manifest in his life. He says he's forsaken everything to pursue Knowing Christ. Knowing Christ. But then notice he shifts into this mode of saying, I haven't obtained this. I'm not already there. I'm not perfect. And just, I want you to notice here the humility that the gospel brings to his heart. If you'll remember last week, he had, he had kind of given his resume, an impressive resume as a Jewish person. One of the things he had said was that under the law, he was blameless. But now he says that he's experienced Christ in the gospel message and he's received Christ. He says, I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect. In Ephesians 3.8, Paul calls himself the least of all the saints. It's an amazing thing, I think, if we're honest and we looked at the life of Paul and we looked at the way he lived his life, we look at the sacrifices that he made and the way that God used him to expand his, his gospel in the world, we would look at that Paul and probably say he's probably the best Christian that ever lived. But Paul, the closer he gets to Christ, <laughs> the, the more he sees who he really is. The closer you walk with the Lord, the, the, the more you see who you really are. I don't believe Paul was being, uh, exhibiting some sort of false humility. Isn't that the worst? Isn't it just the worst when someone like is, is trying to get a compliment out of you and so they're like beating themselves up with this false humility? I don't think that's what he's doing. I truly believe that he, that he has drawn so close to Christ that he looks at himself and he says, I am the least of all the saints. This humbling effect of the gospel, this humbling effect of knowing Christ. Therefore, Christians, we should be the most humble people on the face of the earth. It's, it's unfortunate that that's not our reputation, is it? It's not our reputation. And what Paul does here is he identifies himself as a fellow Christian. He says, I'm not perfect. Don't, don't place me on some pedestal. It's not like I, I I'm some sort of, have some sort of apostolic superpower. Though Paul may have had a different ministry, the ministry of an apostle, he's nevertheless spared from the experiences that are common to all Christians. 
We're all beset by sin. We all sin daily. What do we do with that? What do we do with that? He doesn't want us to think that he is somehow superhuman or superior or has some sort of strength or power as an apostle that we, these lowly Christians are like ourselves that we don't have access to. He says, I'm not perfect. And I think we can all identify with this point, amen? We're not perfect. Can you at least agree with me on that? Amen. We're not perfect. Check. <laughs> Got that one on lockdown. So what does he do with this imperfection? Verse 12, he says, not that I am already, have already obtained this. Already obtained what? This, this, this righteousness in my life, this, the full expression of the resurrection power that, that I am fully and living out like a holy life without sin perfectly. He says, no, I haven't obtained this. I'm not already perfect, but I press on. I press on. To make it my own, I press on to make it my own. Notice here, he is imperfect, but he is not complacent. He is imperfect, but he is not complacent. He, he is pressing on towards what? What is he pressing on towards? Again, he is pursuing knowing Christ. He says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. He, he, he's pursuing this closeness with Christ, this intimacy with Christ, this fellowship with Christ. Not just trying to gain knowledge of Christ, not just trying to know about Christ, but truly having an intimate, close walk with Christ. You know, you can know a lot about somebody and not know them at all. Think of the most famous person in the world that you know of, that you know of. Oh, wow. So you can know a lot about that person. You can get on their Wikipedia and read about them. You can Google them. You can follow them on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and TikTok and whatever else they've invented last week. You can know what they had for lunch. But you don't know them. You only know of them. You couldn't call them. You couldn't spend time with them. But Christ, he, he not only invites us to know about him, but he extends an invitation for us to know him, to have fellowship with him, to be in communion with him. So Paul says, I am pressing on to know Christ. And in knowing Christ, the more we know him, the more we will be like him. He says to know him in the power of his resurrection 
and to become like him. The more you know him, the more you will be like him. Of course, this is this process of sanctification or, or to live a life of holiness. I know that sometimes that word holiness can, for some reason, is a, like a bad word in the church. I don't always understand why that is. Nevertheless, this is what he's talking about, striving for holiness in our lives. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 says, strive for holiness, to put sin to death in our lives, to know Christ and to crucify the flesh. Now there's two traps that, that Christians fall into and in this verse, chapter, uh, verse 12, it, it helps us to not fall into either one of those traps. And, and the first trap is that of perfectionist. The trap of perfectionism, of, of falsely somehow thinking that we have arrived. What a loathsome thought. I mean, who would ever want to be around somebody like that? Not me. I don't want to be around anybody who thinks they're perfect. Why? Because they're not perfect. That, that's, that's a horrible thing, this self-righteousness, this self-aggrandizing, this, this ego of pride and thinking that you have it all together. Paul says, I'm not already perfect. So it, it sets us free of that trap. If you're here today and, and you think that you are perfect, look at Christ and compare yourself to him. Don't compare yourself to, to us. Yeah, you might be better than all of us. You might be. But look to Christ. The Bible says don't compare yourselves with one another. Don't compare yourself to the person on the right or the left. Yeah, you might be better than them. You might be way more righteous than they are. I don't know. But compare yourself to Christ. We're, we don't, we're not even, we, we don't even, you know, put a blip on the radar of perfection. So perfectionism or, or self-righteousness, that first trap, but then the, there's this other trap that Christians also fall into, and that's complacency. Complacency in their walk with the Lord, of just being comfortable, of, of just putting my life, my spiritual life in neutral or cruise control, and just going through the motions and just living out my life, and yeah, I'm a Christian, but I, what, what do I do to pursue Christ? How is Christ central in my life? What, what does that look like? Well, there's really nothing in my life at all. Maybe I'll show up to church on Sunday once in a while, or maybe I come every Sunday, but if that's the extent of your spiritual life, I would submit to you that maybe you have slipped into complacency. If the only time you think about Jesus is on Sunday morning, that's not enough, dear friends. So what does he say? What does he do? Three times in this passage, in verse 12, he says, I press on. I press on. In, in verse 13, he says, I strain forward, straining 
exuding effort, pressing through the obstacles, working hard to know Christ. Our our spiritual life should be one of, of pressing, should be one of straining forward, clawing forward, if you will, in our fight against sin, in ourselves, in our fight to live for Christ, in our desire to spend time with him and to know him. And then in verse 14, the third time in this passage, he says, I press on forward, forward. I want to show you in this language that he's using here is that living for Christ, sanctification, living a holy life that is pleasing to the Lord, it's not easy. It's not easy. It's going to take effort on your part. It's going to take work on your part. This is where sometimes I think we as Christians, we become confused because we We rightly know and believe that we are saved not by our works, but by the work of Christ. Amen. We we don't earn our salvation. We don't earn our justification. We don't earn our righteousness. We receive it by grace through faith. But to live for Christ, to put sin to death, it takes some effort on our part. He is the apostle, straining forward, pressing forward, pressing on. If you are living life with your spiritual walk with the Lord on cruise control, the message to you today is kick it into gear. Start moving forward. Start moving forward. Now, If you only hear one thing that I have to say today, this next thing is the thing. And it's the motivation that Paul has for doing this. In verse 12, he says, Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Why? Why does he do this? What is his motivation? What is it inside of him that is driving him? Because... Christ Jesus has made me his own. What is his motivation to put sin to death in his life? What is his motivation to pursue righteousness, to pursue holiness? The motivation is that Christ has saved me. Christ has saved me. He has set me free. He has opened the prison door. It has flung wide open. Why am I living in this prison any longer of sin when the door has been opened? He has delivered me. He has rescued me. He has purchased me. He has ransomed me. He has washed me in his precious blood. He has bestowed upon me the sweetest and most beautiful name that anyone could hope to have the name of Christian. I stress, I press, I I go forward because Christ Jesus has made me his own. He has written his very name across my soul. He is my gracious savior. 
He has taken my shambles of a life, my ruined life. And he has exchanged beauty for ashes. He has given me the oil of joy for gladness. He has taken the mess that we have made. And he has exchanged it for his perfect life and righteousness. Why do we pursue him? Because he has pursued us. Jesus said, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. And ordained that you would go and bear much fruit. He chose us for a purpose. In John chapter 13, Jesus asks his disciples this incredible question. John 13 is the night before Jesus dies. He he shares the Last Supper with uh, his disciples. Uh, What we will remember here after the sermon today, we'll respond by taking the Lord's Supper together. He shared with them the, the bread which represents his body that was broken because of sin. He, represents, he, shared, he shared the wine, which is a symbol of his shed blood, the blood that was shed to, to cleanse us of sin. And after he had done that, after they shared that meal together, he did something incredible. He, he got up from the table. He laid aside his, his outer garments. He, he stripped down to his undergarments. It's just, just thinking of that is a shocking thing to think about. And he wrapped himself, he covered himself in a towel. And he went from disciple to disciple And he washed their feet. He washed their feet. He he served them. He cleansed them. And then after he had washed their feet, he asked them this question. Do you understand what I have done for you? Do you understand what I have done for you? This question, I've just been pondering on this question. Do you understand what I have done for you? And I I just have to confess, how could we ever understand the fullness and the depths of what he has done for us? How could we ever begin to even understand with our fallen minds and our feeble brains, how could we ever begin to grasp what he has done for us? As we live in this mortal body and sin clinging so closely to our flesh and we walk through life with temptation after temptation calling to us, beckoning us at any moment, at any time where we're almost at the drop of a hat ready to forsake the one who has cleansed us and washed us and redeemed us. How could we ever understand the depths of what Christ has done for us as he he bore upon us our shame and our guilt and the penalty that we were due so that we could live free of that shame and free of that penalty and free of that guilt. The Apostle Paul said rightly that we look through a glass darkly. Our 
our gaze is, is polluted, our, our thinking is so compromised, our, our beholding of Christ is so flawed, do we understand what he has done for us? And so that is why we as Christians, what we must do is what the Apostle Paul was doing, pressing on, straining forward, not looking backwards, but looking to Christ. And so we must, as fallen people, continually direct our attention, direct our focus, direct our gaze to Christ, to gaze upon him, the king of all creation, the creator to gaze upon the one who has left his throne, who set aside the glory of heaven, who forsook the throne to bear a cross, to bear my cross, to bear my shame, to leave the glory and honor that was due his name, and to take insults and to take abuse upon himself. We must gaze upon the one who exchanged the the crown of heaven for the crown of thorns. We must look upon the hands that, that came to bring healing and that opened the eyes of the blind and that raised the lame from, from that he brought healing to the lame man and, and even raised the dead. And we must behold those hands that are now scarred because they were pierced through with nails. We must behold the one who hung upon the cross, bleeding and dying, all the while praying for those who had put him there, saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We don't understand what we have done, therefore it is impossible to understand what he has done. And so we must continually constantly, daily, moment by moment, keep pressing into gazing upon Christ and what he has done for us. And as we do, it it sets us free from wanting to sin. As I talk about living a holy life, living a righteous life, Christianity sometimes gets the reputation of being the quote-unquote religion where it's just all the stuff that you can't do. That's not what Christianity is at all. The more I gaze at Christ, the less I want to do those things. Why do I want to sin? Every sin that I commit heaps upon Christ more suffering. Don't you understand? He suffered for every sin. He who knew no sin became sin. And in that place, God the Father poured out upon Christ every ounce of his wrath against rebellion and sin. And so every time I sin, I add to the suffering of Christ. So it's not that Christianity is the religion of all the stuff you can't do. No, Christianity is walking in relationship with the one who set us free. To set us free, amen. Pursuing holiness is, is not a bad word. All I'm inviting you to do is to gaze upon Christ.
to gaze upon Christ. Why don't we give up on this difficult task? It's not an easy task. Why don't we throw in the towel? Why don't we just kick it into neutral? Why don't we just coast? Well, because Christ has made us his own. Because of what he did to redeem us. Because of the price that he paid. Because of the sacrifice that he made. In verse 13, he says, Brothers, I do not consider that I have arrived, that I've made it my own, that I'm living a perfectly holy life. But one thing I do. One thing I do. I love that it's one thing. It's not 99 things, thank God. It's not seven ways to live a holy life. It's one thing. He says, I forget what lies behind. I forget the past. I forget what I've done. I forget the sins that I've committed. I, I forget them. That They are gone. The Bible says as far as the east is from the west, he has removed our trespasses from us. The Bible says that he casts our sin into the sea of forgetfulness. He has chosen to forget our sin. Why is it that we keep reminding ourselves and him of that which he has already forgotten? The beauty of the gospel is that our future is not determined by our past. Amen. Our past does not determine our future. If it did, look at Paul. He would have had no hope. An enemy of Christ, a persecutor of the church, a murderer. But he shared in the eternal life that only Jesus can bring. Why? Because your past does not determine your future in Christ. In Christ. Where else can you find this offer? Where else can you get this deal where your future is not based on your past? It is only in Christ. It is only in Christ. In this world, we will reap what we have sown. The seeds that we sow, we will absolutely reap. But in Christ, we reap the seeds that he has sown. We reap the benefit of his work. How amazing is that? How amazing would it be if you could reap the benefits of all the people that are going to wake up tomorrow morning at 5 in the morning and go to Gold's Gym? How amazing would that be? If you could simply by faith receive that six pack of abs. How amazing would that be? But let me tell you, dear brother and sister, Christ offers to you something better than a six pack of abs. He offers you future and hope and forgiveness. It's only in Christ that our future is not determined by our past. Forget the past. Put it to death. So many of us come to Christ. We receive him by faith. We trust in him for our future hope and resurrection. And yes, thank God for that. But that's step one. Step two is, is, is the step for all of us. The rest of our lives, we walk with Christ every step of the way. Not just the hope of the resurrection then, but the power of the resurrection now. Yes. 
the power of life eternal now. My past failures, of which there are many, do not determine or change my future. My eternity is secure through faith in Christ. What glorious good news this is. Forget the past. Move on from the past. The sins that held you down in the past, put them to death by the blood of Jesus through the power of the Spirit. We must take advantage of the means by which God has given us to do that. The Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. We must know the Word of God. We must be in the community of saints. We must go to the Lord in prayer. These things, these means. We we sang that song this morning that the Lord fights our battles for us. But, But we also get down on our knees. So when I fight, I'll fight on my knees. If you're struggling with sin, where you need to be is on your knees. Crying out to God. Forgetting the past is is putting sin to death, dealing with it through the power of the cross. Paul says, I've forgotten the past, but I strain forward. Now we can see why Paul needed to forget the past. I believe in some, some sense, and in, 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 in we, we all need to do that. We all need to move beyond our past into the future that God has for us. So what one thing do you need to do to pursue Christ? What one thing do you need to do? For Paul, it was forget the past. For many of you, it may be forget the past. What is that one thing? I can share with you where, where the Lord has been just dealing with me on, on, uh, on many different levels. For me personally, the one thing that he has been putting in my heart is how I am spending my time. How do we spend our time? Ephesians 5.16 says that we must redeem the time or make the best use of the time. Why? Because the days are evil. How are we spending our time? I think this is something we have to look at. That we have to evaluate. That we need to let the Holy Spirit bring conviction to our heart about. Do I spend more time in in this activity or that activity other than prayer? other than being in the word. Now, I know all of us have to work. We get up tomorrow. There's things we got to do. I understand all of that. Some of us may live very consumed lives in that area. We, we may wake up and work for 18 hours and then hit the, the pillow at night. That's not healthy. If we're doing that, there's no time for Christ. If we're doing that, there's no time for our families. There's no time for prayer. 
but I'm speaking more to the people that are spending their time on frivolous things, on things that have no eternal value, things that don't produce any fruit of lasting measure. May the Lord convict our hearts to spend more time with him. Amen. Amen. To pursue, to press on. Notice here in verse 15, he says, let those of us who are mature think this way. Let those of us who are mature think this way. A mark of maturity is one who will say no to this and say no to that in order to spend time pursuing Christ. What is it that I need to let go of, move out of the way? What, what sin do I need to put to death? What, what other activity do I need to pick up? Is it, do I need to spend more time in prayer? Do I need to spend more time in the word? Do, do I need to make gathering with God's people a higher priority in my life? Do I need to... To, to, to look at, at getting in community with other believers. What is the, the sin we must stop doing and the thing that we must start doing in order to pursue Christ? It is the mature believer that thinks this way, making progress, moving forward. The question we should ask ourselves today is, am I closer to Christ today than I was yesterday? Am I closer to Christ this month than I was last month? Am I closer to Christ this year than I was last year? Am I closer to Christ today than I was five years ago? And if not, why not? And let me tell you, if you're not closer to Christ today than you were five years ago, it's not for a lack in Christ. It's not for his unwillingness to draw close to you. What is it that has diverted our gaze? What, what is it that has drawn our attention? What is it that, that has taken our affection away from him? Crucify that thing. Put it to death in your life. Let go of the, the pale trivialities of this life and this world and grab on to the beauty and the, the endless measure of the infinitely eternal Jesus Christ. Let him who is mature think this way. In verse 16, he says, only let us hold true to what we have attained. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Well, what have we attained? What have we received from Christ? Salvation, justification, eternal life the power of the Spirit. We have attained these, again, not through our own works or efforts, but through His work and effort. He's poured it out upon us. Having received these things, He says, be true to that. Live that out. Hold 
true to what we have attained. Let us be who we are. Let us follow the spirit and not the flesh. Let us hold true to what we have attained through Christ. In conclusion today, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. If you're going to run the race that God has for you, and you're going to make it to the finish line, you've got to lay aside every weight. You've got to overcome every obstacle. You've got to push those things out of the way if you're going to run away a race, you, you don't show up to the race with ankle weights on. No. You make yourself as light as you can be so that you can run as fast and as hard as you can run. That's what the Christian life is like. Looking to Jesus, keeping our eyes fixed and focused on him. Seeing what he went through, seeing what he endured, knowing that whatever we must endure in this life, it pales into comparison to what he endured. Looking unto Jesus. So for all of us who are in Christ today, the message to you is to pursue him. Pursue Christ. Press on towards knowing Christ. Strain. Exude effort. Make sacrifices. Do whatever it takes to draw close to Christ. What sin is standing in the way of, of, of you pursuing Christ? Crucify it. Kill it. Put it to death today. What sacrifice do you need to make to pursue Christ? Make it. Because whatever you must let go of in this life to gain him, Paul count, says, I've counted it all. As rubbish compared to knowing Christ. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the invitation that we have to be in fellowship and relationship with you. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would help us, that you would give us strength, that you would uh, be with us moment by moment. Lord, we cannot do this in our own strength. Lord, the reason we do this is because, because of that word, because, because you have made us your own. So Lord, I pray for your spirit to be released in our lives and that we would pursue you with everything that we have, holding nothing back, and that we would experience your resurrection power in our life today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.